The West Wing was evacuated on Sunday after a bag of white powder was discovered in the White House. The evacuation was brief, however, after officials remembered that Hunter Biden doesn't snort anthrax, as far as we know. The white powder turned out to be nothing more than a first son favorite booger sugar. You know what I'm talking about? Some Colombian nose candy, if you catch my drift. A little Yale College baking soda, if you can infer my meaning. I'm talking about Coke, which means that uh, since the president's infamously unrepentant dirt bag of a son had been visiting the White House that very weekend, a lot of people came to conclusions about how the cocaine got there. MSNBC, however, is shocked. And turning to some breaking news, we have just learned that a formal lab has confirmed the suspicion that that white powdery substance found in the West Wing on Sunday was in fact positive for cocaine. The discovery led to a brief evacuation of the White House Sunday night. Joining us now is NBC White House correspondent Mike Memoli. So Mike, where do things stand now? This is so unusual. You and I have covered the White House for years. I can't even fathom anything like this having been found before in the West Wing. And I go back to the 70s at the White House. So this is pretty, pretty wild. It's absolutely extraordinary, Andrea. And this new conclusive test confirms what had been the preliminary field test conducted by D.C. fire personnel who were called in on Sunday night after the discovery of this suspicious substance by a uniformed officer in the Secret Service uh, that was conducting a routine patrol of the White House. And so uh, to recap on the developments from that we've been reporting on yesterday, this was found, we understand, in a highly trafficked common area of the West Wing. It's an area where individuals, especially visitors, individuals who may be coming for, for instance, a private tour. Yeah, we just, but it's, it's hard to fathom. We just don't know how on earth cocaine made its way into the Biden White House. Who knows? Who knows? Not to be outdone in implausibility, a law enforcement official has gone on record to say that the cocaine culprit is unlikely ever to be found. Because, put the, put the first son aside for a second, because the culprit, whoever he is, in any case, is a friend of Joe Biden. The only people who make it into the West Wing these days are friends and allies of Joe Biden and the Democrats. And Democrat criminals, generally speaking, with very few exceptions, don't face consequences because they don't get charged, because they don't get arrested, because they're usually not even investigated. Conservatives have the book thrown at us for even slightly approaching the line of legality, while the libs get off scot-free when they cross the line and even when they snort it up behind them. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. There's a wonderful clip in this ongoing debate over affirmative action and Harvard admissions of Joy Reid, who I just learned, Joy Reid is in this MSNBC talking head. Apparently she went to Harvard and she admits the only reason she got in is because of affirmative action. And then she proves it when she demonstrates that she doesn't even know what affirmative action is. So we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. First though, speaking of intoxicants, Bud Light is selling for less than water right now in some places. According to Andy Wagner, the manager of Glenn Miller's Beer and Soda Warehouse in Lemoyne, Pennsylvania, Speaking to the New York Times, he says, at this point, it's cheaper than some of the cases of water 
we're selling in the back. It's just not moving like it used to. It's not that these people have stopped drinking beer. They just stopped buying Bud Light. Now, according to this guy, he said Anheuser-Busch broke bar rules, which means no politics, no religion. Number, this was the number one best-selling beer in America for over 20 years. Now it's fallen and it, it's plummeting. The, the sales continue to fall and uh, Modelo Especial has overtaken Bud Light as the number one beer in America. And now Bud Light is selling in some places cheaper than water. This is really encouraging, not only because of what it says about Americans' views of the pride stuff, not only because of what it says about conservatives' abilities to boycott a company and really bring them to heel, but because it reminds us not to despair, because it reminds us that bad systems can't go on forever, because it reminds us that there actually are consequences for bad, stupid, misguided actions that are not in accord with reality. And I think we conservatives, I'll I'll include myself in this, we sometimes are tempted to despair because we see the first family getting away with murder. Well, sorry, I'm not talking about the Clintons. I'm talking about the Biden. So they get away with, you know, bribery and corruption and drugs and all this kind of stuff. And they just get away with it. And, And they're not held to account ever. Meanwhile, Midwestern grannies who crack probably not a Bud Light, in the Capitol Rotunda, they get thrown in solitary confinement. They have the book thrown at them because of January 6th. And we just look at this and we say, goodness gracious, it's so preposterous. The kinds of ideologies, some of which we're not allowed to talk about on Big Tech anymore. So you got to go to dailywire.com to hear the commentary on that. But certain ideologies that are very much in the news are manifestly absurd, and yet the establishment continues to push them, it seems like, without any real consequence whatsoever. They don't, they don't, seem in any way accountable to the people. And yet, sometimes, this is the the great conservative consolation, reality reasserts itself eventually. There can be a lot of time and a lot of pain before reality reasserts itself, but it does. And now you're seeing this especially as Bud Light collapses. So Bud Light, they're trying almost everything to resuscitate their brand, and they're catching a lot of flack for almost everything they do. Bud Light comes out initially, and they sort of don't quite, not exactly apologize. Then they double down. Then they publish an ad about horses or something, which totally sidesteps the issue. Then they publish this ad with a bunch of grunting, rube, idiot, hick, deplorable, irredeemables, just like stumbling and bumbling over themselves as though that was going to ingratiate them back with their customer base. And now Bud Light is, is using fallen soldiers as a last-ditch effort to resuscitate the brand. After my second tour in Iraq as an F-16 pilot, I witnessed a family as their fallen soldier returned home. I felt a calling to help. Budweiser has believed in folds of honor for 13 years. Today, we honor our veterans and the 44,000 scholarships awarded to their families. That's enough to fill this stadium. Missouri, class of 22. Gabby, class of 2023. Landon, class of 2025. Service never stops, and neither will we. Like Bud Light, this commercial is almost completely tasteless. Why? 
because this is a bad charity? No, it's a great charity because it's bad that Bud Light is donating money to it. No, Bud Light should donate money to it because it's bad that Bud Light is mentioning that they're donating money to it. No, I don't even totally mind that if a company is doing that, though they should do it in a more graceful, subtle way. But because this advertisement was produced and aired with one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to win back customers after the Dylan Mulvaney fiasco. There is only one way out of the Dylan Mulvaney fiasco. There's only one way out. It's not ads with horses. It's not presenting white men in the South as bumbling, fumbling idiots. Don't know who thought that was a good idea. It's not talking about the fallen soldiers and how much you do for the families of the fallen soldiers. You know the one way out of this? The the only shot, I'm not saying it'll even work, the only shot that Bud Light has out of the Dylan Mulvaney fiasco? Apologize. Apologize. Say you don't believe in that stuff. You don't stand for that kind of absurdity. You're not pushing that radical sexual agenda on people. You're sorry that you ever did it. You've taken actions to correct that. You don't hate your customers. You don't think that they're frat boys and rude blue collar idiots. You you need to apologize and you need to clearly state what you believe. There's no, there's no avoiding the political issue. You've injected yourself into this contentious political debate. And this is a debate on this particular sexual ideology that we're not allowed to mention the name of on big tech platforms. There is no way of trying to just remain neutral and appease everybody. This is a binary option. Do you support this radical false sexual ideology or or not? Which is it? You've got to make, it's it's binary. I know we talk about non-binary things these days. It's a binary choice. And Bud Light's caught between a rock and a hard place because the vast majority of people don't accept this radical sexual ideology that we all know is false. But the elites, the people with the money, the big asset managers and the big people who control the media and the political order and the education systems and all the rest of it, they do support the radical ideology. And the customers are the many, the people who don't support it, but the investors and the advertisers and the platform owners, they're the ones who do support it. And so Bud Light is caught here. Well, then just stop then just stop. Then give it up. Stop making these tasteless ads. They're going to irritate your customer base even more. <laughs> then just don't do anything and wait it out and hope people forget. That's your, that's your only other option. If you want to try to resuscitate the brand, there's, there's only one way. If you really wanted to do it, Bud Light would just air a commercial of my CPAC speech <laughs> that caused a little consternation on the right over this particular, or on the left rather, over this particular issue. If Bud Light really wanted to correct things with the base, Bud Light would air a trailer for the What is a Woman movie as a commercial. Okay. That would really do. At the very least though, just apologize. Just say, yeah, we were wrong. We don't believe that. Sorry. Boys are boys. Girls are girls. Beer is beer. Please buy us again. And cars are cars. You know, when you want to buy a car, you got to check out CarZing. Right now, go to carzing.com slash Knowles. Buying a new car can be a stressful experience for anyone, especially if you're a first-time buyer or have no credit. Before you walk into a dealership and spend the entire day with the crowd stress and potential to not even find the right car, you need to check out CarZing. CarZing is completely changing the way you buy a car online. By partnering with credit agencies, lenders, and over 25,000 dealers nationwide, CarZing provides you with everything you need before stepping foot into a dealership. Once you find the right car at your ideal budget, all you have to do is bring your saved deal voucher with you to the dealership to finalize your next ride. 
It's super simple. Even if you are not in the market for a new car, you should check out CarZing anyway. CarZing's online window shopping experience goes beyond mere images. You can dive deep into each vehicle's specifications, features, and performance capabilities. Zoom in on the craftsmanship of the interior. Marvel at the cutting-edge technology and admire the meticulous attention to detail that sets these automobiles apart from the rest. CarZing helps make your experience faster, cheaper, and less stressful. Go to CarZing.com slash Knowles. Find the best deals near you. CarZing.com slash Knowles. Speaking of economic shifts, great news that is not being reported very much about our political order. This is such great news. It's not a sexy issue like a beer company going woke or something, so people aren't talking. But this is so, this is such a big win for conservatives. The Northeast of America, which has been the dominant economic leader, the powerhouse of America for, I don't know, about as long as I can remember, is no longer the main driver of the American economy. Do you know which region is? The South. The liberal Northeast region has lost its economic dominance. The conservative region, the South, has taken it. Why is that? Because people are leaving the Northeast because the Northeast has become unlivable, very difficult with stupid regulations and stupid taxes and stupid social policies, especially the stupid social policies. And they're moving to the South, which is not only freer economically, but perhaps more importantly, it's, an, it's still an ordered society. It's still a normal place where you can live a normal life. And I know all we ever talk about is how, well, we've got lower taxes here, you know, or, hey, we've got fewer regulations, so it's easier to do business. And that's true. And those were big motivating factors that got a lot of us conservatives, myself included, to leave liberal places and to move here to Tennessee or Texas or Georgia or Florida or these other places too. But more than that, it's the social stuff. When people ask me, hey, Michael, how do you like Tennessee? I say, I love Tennessee. They say, do you plan to stay there? I totally plan to stay here. Why is that? I don't say because I have a little bit more money, which I do. I I do have a little bit more money here because there's no state income tax. What I always say is because I can raise a family here, because it's a nice, normal place to live, because I love my neighbors, because there's a community here, because I love my parish, because because it's normal here. And people smile and are nice and talk about things in a normal way. And it turns out that normality and living in accordance with reality is good for business too. We conservatives, we we fall for the same economics exaltation that the leftists and even that the Marxists do. The Marxists' primary mistake was viewing man as essentially an economic creature. But man is not essentially an economic creature. Man is made in the image and likeness of God, and there's a lot more to life than money. So we want a good economy, but we want that good economy in service of a good society and a good life. You don't want to put the cart before the horse. And when you think about economics first, things are going to get out of whack. You see this not only on the left, but even on the right. When conservatives tried to avoid the social issues and they just wanted to talk about occupational licensing reform or whatever, then we lost all of our power and society spun totally out of control. What we have learned, I think, in the last 10 years, especially on the right, is that social issues are economic issues. You're not going to fix the economic problem by having a social truce or anything like that. The, The social issues, do we respect life? 
Do we know what marriage is? Do we support families? Do we support growing families and growing the next generation? Do we recognize borders and the, uh, the distinction between a citizenry and foreign peoples? Do we, if, if we don't do that, then you can have all the economic tinkering in the world. It's not going to fix your society. Things are going to continue to degrade. So now, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, my state of Tennessee, and Texas, which is all my exes, that's where all my exes live, uh, they have economically overtaken Boston, New York City, Washington, D.C., the Northeast, according to Bloomberg. The population in the Southeast grew by 2.2 million people in the last two years. It's the same consolation that we were just talking about with Bud Light. Bad systems can't go on forever. Political orders always change. And, and conservatives used to not like that last part of it because we used to want to believe, hey, look, the America of 1958, that has to go on forever. The, uh, the America, not even of 1778, not even of 1888, but of 19, mid-1950s America, that is the eternal political order. It has to go on forever. And any deviation from that whatsoever is awful and terrible and a violation of everything we hold dear. And we used to lament when the left would tell us, well, that's not how politics works. Things change all the time. We say, no, we don't want it to change. We want it to remain exactly the same. Well, yeah, it's, it's very sad to know that political orders always have to change when things are good. But when things are bad and decadent and corrupted as they are right now, then it's a great consolation and hope to know that political orders, none of them, not the best one, not the worst one, none of them go on forever. And also, money talks and BS walks. And so as the South, as the conservative part of the country, gains more economic power, the South is going to be able to throw its political weight around a little bit more than we have in the past, just as the liberal Northeast was able to throw its political weight around and dominate the country for the last 100 years. Now, speaking of bad systems and speaking of the South, great news out of Virginia Pornhub has just suspended its service in Virginia. Great story just came out. This was going around Twitter and an email from Pornhub. I did not receive this email. I do, the, although sometimes libs find my email address and they sign me up for all sorts of nasty little things that I have to then unsubscribe for. It's very frustrating. I mercifully have not been signed up for this one. Not recently, at least. And uh, I, I, now I know, I know saying that. I know I'm going to just get a flood of signups for this evil website, but it doesn't even really matter because this website is going down because people are throwing their economic and political weight around to destroy Pornhub. And the liberals are upset about that. And some of the libertarians are probably upset about that, but the conservatives are going to be thrilled about that. What does Pornhub say? They say, dear user, as you may know, your elected officials in Virginia are requiring us to verify your age before allowing you access to our website. While safety and compliance are at the forefront of our mission, hold on, put up, we got to forget even the idea that safety and compliance are really important to Pornhub. What the hell is our mission? What is our mission at Pornhub? Take porn out of it for a second. This is so grating about all 
millennial companies, all, they always have to have a mission. You know, they're just, they're all on a social mission. You could have the, you could have like an accounting firm and they say, well, our social mission is to improve the world and to stop climate change and to spread pride and progress. And we have a mission. And, and that's even true of smut peddlers like Pornhub. What's your mission? Your mission is to arouse the lusts of men and to exploit women and sexually traffic people. That's your mission. And to make money doing it. Okay, so they say safety and compliance are at the forefront of our mission, but giving your ID card every time you want to visit an adult platform is not the most effective solution. Until a real solution is offered, well, we got a solution, Pornhub. Uh, We've made the difficult decision to completely disable access to our website in Virginia. Awesome. Looks like Virginia fixed that problem, at least for now, in a cinch. And speaking of cinch, I would strongly recommend you check out cinch. Right now, go to cinch.com, use promo code Knowles. A lot of family gatherings lined up. The last thing that you need when hosting is turning on the grill and finding out that you're out of propane. That is where our friends at Cinch come in. Cinch is a propane grill tank home delivery service. They deliver propane tanks right to your door on your schedule and do not require any long-term commitment or subscription. Plus, delivery is completely contactless. You don't have to wait around at home Track the order on the Cinch app from anywhere. I remember as a kid, I used to be kind of nervous when we'd go pick up the propane tank and be in the car. So don't, don't make any <laughs> sudden moves. To, uh, if we don't get hit here, I don't want to go up in a ball of flames. Well, I really like the idea. You just, you just order it, pre-order it. Super simple on your phone. Just shows up at your door. You don't need to worry about it. The perfect summer night would not be complete without Cinch. Go online to cinch.com or download the Cinch app to order. New customers get their first tank exchange for just 10 bucks. With promo code Knowles, cinch.com, or download the Cinch app. Use promo code Knowles to get your first tank exchange for just 10 bucks. There's a limited time offer. You must live within a Cinch service area to redeem it. Go to cinch.com slash offer for details. You might have been one of the tens of millions of people who watch Netflix's hit show, Making a Murderer. If so, then you are going to love Daily Wire Plus's new exclusive 10-part docuseries with Candace Owens, Convicting a Murderer, coming this summer. Whether it's exposing BLM or certain fallacies in the healthcare industry regarding COVID, Candace Owens has never been afraid to challenge the narrative. She will find the truth wherever it leads. When Candace found out that key facts may have been omitted in Netflix's series, she set out to uncover the real story behind the notorious Stephen Avery case. The end result is convicting a murderer. You will not want to miss it. Right now, there's never been a better time to become a Daily Wire Plus member. Sign up now for convicting a murderer. You will receive an early bird discount of 25% off your Daily Wire Plus membership. You will also get all the other premium content from Daily Wire Plus, including Greatest Lie Ever Sold, What is a Woman? The largest collection of content from Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. Join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member and see the truth when it finally comes out. a great solution. Insist that users of porn websites, and target Pornhub because it's the big one, insist that they submit a government-issued ID, and then they can use the website. That's a good first step because there are going to be a lot of people who, recognizing that porn is extremely shameful, just won't do that. And then they will be they will have less access to porn. They will be less impelled to look at porn. Pornhub's uh, profits will decrease. Pornhub will have a more difficult time maintaining their service. And you'll, you'll drive it ever further toward the margins of society. Great. What's the problem with that? I remember when these proposals first started to come up five, six years ago, when it really started to gain some traction on the right. And some of us conservatives advocated these policies. And the more 
libertarian-minded, more sort of, I don't know, 2010-era conservative types, uh, libertarian types, they said, no, this is a horrible, horrible idea. Why? We know that this works. This is exactly what the libs did with cigarettes. This is exactly what they did. They said, you've got to present an ID and you've got to be 18. No, forget about that. You've got to be 21. Now, pretty soon you have to be 45 to buy cigarettes. In New York, you can't even buy tobacco if you were born after a certain age. That's one of the proposals the libs have put forward there. You can't buy flavored tobacco. You can't buy this kind. We're going to increase the taxes on tobacco. We're going to lump this, that, and the other thing. And I'm not a cigarette fan. I've never been a big fan of cigarettes. You know, I love cigars, but cigarettes, I've never been a huge fan. But I'll tell you this, for certain, porn is way more dangerous than cigarettes. Cigarettes mess up your body. They have a minor effect on the soul relative to porn, which melts your brain and turns you into a complete dummy, like a drooling idiot, (laughs) you know, that completely burns out your reward centers and destroys the way that you look at women and is probably responsible for a lot of the sexual dysfunction that we have in our country today. Yeah, it's way, you're going to regulate cigarettes that way, and it worked. Well, how about we just do what Virginia is doing right now and let Pornhub whine about it? Really, really smart stuff. Speaking of weird sex stuff, Pride Month is over, but Pride Month is never really over, is it anymore? It's just Pride all the time. It's just, oh, it's, it's pride nation now. According to Joe Biden, we're a nation of pride. And one group that apparently was left out of the pride festivities, they're, they're coming back with a vengeance. This would be the asexual community. This is a post that just went viral on social media from the Yasmin ben, Benoit, who says, asexual people deserve equal rights. We deserve legal recognition. We deserve protection. Thank you, Stonewall UK, for allowing me to march with you again at Pride in London today and for helping me to bring about this change. This is what asexual looks like. I stand with Stonewall. Emphasis on all. There's no, there's no end to it, guys. There's no end. If if the, the people who, by definition, don't engage in sex are insisting on becoming one of the identities of the sexual revolution, there's no end. It just, this just goes on forever and ever. What rights don't the supposedly asexual people have? Not, there's no... What legal recognition could they even possibly have? I don't, it doesn't. It's just griping and whining <laughs> and solipsism all the way down. That's what it is. It's the idea that you, in your ever-multiplying, ever-more-particular appetites, are not only the only person that matters, but maybe just the only thing in the world, the only thing that's really, really real. Now, that that one's kind of funny. On to the darker side of sexual pathologies. There was this awful shooting over the weekend, and this was in Philadelphia, and there wasn't a ton of news on this right away. People weren't really seeing a lot in the headlines. It turns out that this killer who shot four men dead and and a 15-year-old boy, allegedly in the King Sessing neighborhood on the evening, eve of the 4th of July, 
is a, a cross-dressing BLM supporter, a somehow kind of trans-identifying BLM-supporting guy. Because it's always the ones you most expect. Almost, almost all the time, it's the ones you most expect. It's the way it goes. Now, I'm not going to harp on this guy for too long. The only thing that really caught my attention here beyond just the usual people with all sorts of problems and absurd ideologies committing heinous acts, was he, he had a series of very creepy Facebook posts, one of which was titled, How Do You Know If An Evil Spirit Is Following You? That's the part that people are not really talking about with this shooting. Not just the trans thing, not just the BLM thing. How do you know if an evil spirit is following you? Hmm. That's weird. We don't talk about that because we don't want to talk about spirits because we don't want to talk about objective evil because we don't want to talk about metaphysical things because we want to pretend that everything's just material. And if, if someone is given a little bit more money or put in a better school or if there was another gun control law or something, then we wouldn't have evil anymore. But the persistence of evil is a recognition of original sin, which is a reminder of sin, which is a reminder that there's evil and evil has a personality and it prowls about the world seeking the ruin of souls. So that reminded me then of a, of a really underreported aspect of the Nashville shooting. We're now long after the Nashville shooting. We still haven't gotten the Tranifesto, sorry, manifesto. We are not, the, the officials don't want us to know any of the motivating factors behind that shooting. They just want us to move along, move along. Okay, I think most reasonable people know what motivated that shooting or have a strong suspicion of it. But there's a deeper motivating factor to that shooting that was manifest in the shooting itself that is also not being reported. That part's being covered up even more than the trans aspect of it. And that would be that at some point during the shooting, very likely before the shooting, but we're not exactly clear on the timeline, at some point during the Covenant School shooting, the shooter took a detour from the school to the attached church and shot a stained glass figure took the gun and shot the stained glass, but not just randomly into the stained glass, went into this church, found the stained glass figure of Adam, the first man, and shot the figure of Adam seven times. Now, by the end of the shooting, this shooter had claimed six victims, but that's not how the, the supporters of I guess you'd call them the supporters of the shooter, or maybe the supporters of the ideology that motivated this shooter. When they were protesting the, the laws that tried to enshrine sexual reality over absurdity in Tennessee, the protest involved the number seven. And, and the, the, the protesters held up seven fingers and said seven fingers for seven victims. The uh, there was a prominent pro-trans group that came out and said there weren't just six victims of the shooting. It was seven victims because the shooter is a victim too. There, we have video of this. Death is a tragedy, y'all. Seven lives. Seven lives. Seven. And you see them. It's really eerie. Like a, like a cult ritual. Holding up these seven fingers. Number seven, by the way, which is a number of perfection holy number. Seven. Seven, which is a number of creation. Seven days in the creation narrative. 
seven bullets in the state. Why? If you were just, if you were just a crazy person, you know, if you were just an evil person, just a mean old person, let's take evil out of it. If you were just a nasty person with a, with a gripe, why would you take a detour from the killing to go into a church to symbolically shoot at the stained glass, to shoot at the symbol of the first man, symbol of humanity itself, fallen humanity, to shoot seven times, this very meaningful number that then is reflected in the protests after this shooting, say seven, seven, seven. There is a spiritual aspect here. You can't talk about human nature without talking about spiritual things. I sometimes fear that I talk about spiritual things too much on this show, and I hope that people's eyes don't glaze over. But unless we just want to be sitting here talking about like, well, the GDP went up to a little bit today, and that's why we need occupational licensing reform. If you, if, you, if you want to talk about politics in any way below the surface level, you have to talk about spiritual things because politics is about people. Politics is about how people live together and people are not primarily motivated by economics and people are not primarily motivated by luxury. People are primarily motivated by deeper things because we are we know that we are not only bodies but also souls and we are made in the image and likeness of God and we are in, in constant spiritual warfare and we know that we're tempted to do things. And we know the things that we want to do, we very often do not do. And the things that we don't want to do, we very often do. And it's hard to make sense of this. It's impossible to make sense of this without a recognition of original sin. And it's hard to make sense of what we're doing as a civilization without a recognition of the prospect of salvation. And the, the fact that has animated our entire civilization, which is the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. You, you can't make sense of the West. You can't make any sense of America without talking about that kind of thing. And frankly, you can't make sense of that shooting in Philadelphia and how to figure out if you had dark spirits following you. And you can't make sense of that shooting in Nashville. You can't figure out why a killer would go into a church and shoot a stained glass image of Adam seven times. That You have to do that to understand anything about what's going on in the world. And the other side of the aisle does its damnedest to ignore that, to evade that. You're now seeing this out of the White House. You want to talk about sexual pathologies and spiritual things. Jen, Jen Psaki, who was the White House press secretary, now she has a show on MSNBC. Jen Psaki is bringing to her political commentary all the glibness, all the shallowness and the talking points that she brought to bear as the White House press secretary. She's got a new line against conservatives. And it's on the conservatives who are talking about social issues and who are pointing out that certain groups in America don't really like to go along with some of the radical social ideologies. Well, she's bringing all of her sophistication to bear to say, that's a new line, write it down. The GOP is racist. Now, that's a bad look for her. I think it's a bad look for the Democrats to use these stupid shallow lines. When you want to look good, you got to check out Genucel. Right now, go to genucel.com slash Knowles. Our friends over at Genucel sold out of their dark spot corrector, and our listeners have been begging for a restock, begging on their hands and knees. Well, I've got great news. Just in time for the summer, it's back. Genucel's famous dark spot corrector has not one but three cutting-edge ingredients and goes to work fast to target sunspots, dark spots, liver spots, and even old discoloration, both on your face and your hands. You can now enjoy your summer sun, beach, and barbecues without embarrassing spots. Genucel's most popular package also features their summer essentials, such as the best-selling ultra-retinol moisturizer, 
with a powerful retinol alternative for safe use in the sun. You'll be amazed at how quickly you will see results or 100% of your money goes back guaranteed. Go to GenuCell.com slash Knowles right now. Get your dark spot corrector in the GenuCell most popular package. That is GenuCell.com slash Knowles right now. Save over 70-70% off GenuCell's most popular package. All orders will include a mystery luxury gift while supplies last. GenuCell.com slash Knowles. My favorite comment yesterday is from Vox Umana to Abel, who says, I love that Michael refuses to use a laptop during his show and still prints out every single story. I'm glad you love that. I do it very intentionally. I have since day one of this show. I don't like being in front of a screen all day. I think it makes me into a cyborg and makes me dumb. So I don't want to do that. And I also don't like it when I'm in the audience. I don't like watching people read off a screen. To me, it seems kind of shifty. You know, like people are getting updates the whole time, being told what to say by nefarious powers. Even if that's not really happening, it's just, it's, I don't want to watch a speaker be totally plugged into the matrix. Okay, I want good old-fashioned cards. I want good old-fashioned articles printed. I want real physical stuff that can't be updated. This is why I buy physical books now. I don't, I don't use my Kindle anymore. I use my Kindle because the libs and the increasingly technologically sophisticated powers that run our political order, they could just go in and edit books. They do it all the time. I don't want that. I want the good old physical copies. I recognize the trees are a renewable organic resource, and we need to make sure that we cut them down and print stuff out, because otherwise they're going to turn those forests into parking lots. Now, is the GOP racist? This is the charge from the libs for the last uh, ever, for forever, and they're still keeping it up. Jen Psaki making this claim on MSNBC. So lately I've been noticing the reemergence of a very old GOP playbook that harkens back to President Richard Nixon's infamous Southern strategy. During his campaign for president in 1968, the Republican Party made a concerted effort to reach white Southerners who used to vote for Democrats by playing to their fears of African-Americans and the civil rights movement. And it worked. By pitting one group of Americans against another, the GOP successfully managed to split off Southern whites from the Democratic Party. Now, decades later, the right wing is reviving that same playbook, this time with Muslim Americans and trans people. Hear me out here. The GOP is trying to recruit Muslim Americans, a community that makes up less than 2% of the US population, against another tiny marginalized group of Americans transgender people. <laughs> oh, oh, hold on. Let me, where's my pen? I got to write that down. What a fresh insight. GOP racist, Southern strategy. <laughs> Good grief. I mean, if this is, if this is what Jen Psaki is bringing to her role at MSNBC, they might as well just play reruns of Rachel Maddow. Rachel Maddow actually is much more interesting than than these lesser commentators. They might as well play reruns of, I don't know, Lawrence O'Donnell or Chris Hayes or Chris Matthews. It's all the same nonsense. You could go back to an episode of MSNBC from 2006. They'd be saying the exact same nonsense that Jen Psaki is saying here. The GOP, they're splitting off. They're doing it with it. The GOP doesn't need to split Muslims off of the LGBT community, okay? Muslims don't need Republican politicians to do that. Muslims, it turns out, have their own beliefs. Muslim, they're real people. They have intellect. They have will. They have a vision of the world that is not your vision. Jen Psaki and the liberals, 
And much as you might like to dominate their vision and suppress their vision and substitute out their understanding, their 1,400-year-old understanding of human nature in the world for your much newer vintage of liberalism, you don't get to do that. That's probably not going to happen. And one aspect of Islam that Islam shares with Judaism and Christianity and many varieties of virtuous paganism is a, uh, an opprobrium for sexual eccentricity and deviancy. And one thing that Islam shares with Judaism and Christianity and even virtuous paganism is an understanding of human nature such that uh, your soul is not in radical opposition to your body at the level of sex and gender. You don't need the GOP to do that. People have their own, their own views. But the the liberals can't understand this. The the liberals, much as they malign colonialism, uh, the liberals have a much more intensely colonial, flattening, uh, universalizing point of view than pretty much anyone else in the world, including Christians. Liberalism in in many ways, it's not exactly a Christian heresy, but it is a perverted offshoot of Christianity. It's why liberalism arises in the Christian West. But it's a a perversion and an inversion of Christianity in all sorts of ways. And it makes a a God out of man rather than having man recognize God as his one true God. And and it, it exalts the will of man above all else as opposed to Christianity, which says that man needs to bring his own will into accord with right reason and reality and the will of God. But it is kind of a weird little offshoot of Christianity. And Christianity is a universalizing religion, right? Christianity, uh, has the, the uh, oldest flavor of Christianity is called the Catholic Church. Catholic means universal. Christianity makes claims for the whole world. But it, it's, not a, it's not a globalism. It's not a flattening claim. It recognizes principles such as subsidiarity. It recognizes the legitimacy of civil authority. It respects custom and tradition. It doesn't try to flatten everything. There are all sorts of rights in Christianity. There are all sorts of uh, local flavors, while at the same time there being an insistence on one church with one vicar of Christ and one holy sacrifice in the mass, so, and one God, obviously. Uh, liberalism just t- takes all that particularism out, takes all that respect for local authority out, re- respect for tradition, respect for the the civil authority. It just, liberalism just rips all of that out and says, no, everybody's got to be exactly the same. Not even down to this nation has to be indistinguishable from this nation. Not even down to this race has to be indistinguishable from this race. Down to this sex has to be indistinguishable from this sex. Down to everything. It just flattens, it flattens it all. Much, much more colonial than anything the Christians have ever done. Now, speaking of MSNBC, I have got to get to this story. Joy Reid. Joy Reid, very upset by the Supreme Court's decision to get rid of affirmative action in college admissions. And Joy Reid's upset because she says without affirmative action, she never would have gotten into Harvard. 
Let me just be clear. I got into Harvard only because of affirmative action. I went to a school no one had ever heard of in Denver, Colorado, in a small suburb. I didn't go to Exeter or Andover. Yeah, I didn't right. have college test prep. I just happened to be really nerdy and smart and have really good grades and good SAT scores. Right. But someone came to Denver, Colorado to look for me. A Harvard right. recruiter flew to Denver, and I met up with her at the Village Inn restaurant and did a pre-interview to get to re- to pull me into Harvard. I wasn't. I was pulled in, and the and the schools like Harvard and Yale that That's I got the, into affirmatively. Yes. and it was literally not saying we're going to take an unqualified person and put them right. in Harvard. Yes. We're going to take a very qualified person who we would never know existed and put them in Harvard. That's how I got there. That's how Katanji got there. That's how well, Justice Jackson, I should say. Justice Jackson got there. I didn't know that Joy Reid had gone to Harvard, and this explains that. Her her explanation of how she got into Harvard explains why I didn't know from her commentary that she was educated at Harvard, and that's underscored by the fact that she doesn't even know what affirmative action is. She says, I didn't get into Harvard because I was given an unfair advantage, because I was unqualified, but then I was given an artificial boost, and then I was allowed in. That's not, no. That's not affirmative action. Yes, it is. That is what affirmative action is. Affirmative action is you have two students. One is white, one is black. Let's say they have the same test scores. The black person gets in, the white person doesn't. Or more often is the case, white person has one test score, a black person has a lower test score. The black person will still get in. Such is the advantage. That's not just true of black and white. It's the White people will be punished primarily, but also the Asian students will be punished, and the black people will be given an advantage, but also, to some degree, Hispanics do a great degree Native Americans, though there just aren't that many Native Americans in America anymore. So it's this weight of giving people who are less qualified an advantage. She says, no, affirmative action just means that Harvard discovered that Denver exists. You you think Harvard University didn't know that Denver exists? (laughs) Yeah, oh, Wow. Uh, ever since affirmative action was passed into law, we uh, listen, fellows of Harvard College, we've discovered there's a state called Colorado. Did you know that? <laughs> and now, now we're going to send emissaries out there to find people. No, what are you talking about? What on earth are you talking about? Colleges have always recruited people. Colleges have always accepted applications from all over the country. If Joy Reid got into Harvard because she had a perfect SAT score and she was valedictorian of her class and she was really a seriously highly educated, highly intelligent, qualified person, a lot of big ifs over here, then she didn't get in because of affirmative action. She got in based on her strength and qualifications. If maybe she didn't have that perfect SAT score, and I don't know, I don't know what her SAT score was. If maybe she wasn't the valedictorian of her class, if maybe she wasn't as qualified as other people, then she did get in because of affirmative action. And she might say, well, it's good. I damn well want to get into Harvard and it's good for me to get in for X, Y, and Z reason. Okay. Maybe she can make somewhat convincing arguments. But the flip side of that is that someone who was more qualified did not get in because she was given that advantage. You can't have an unfair advantage for one person without an unfair disadvantage for another person. And maybe Joy Reid would say, because Joy Reid has expressed certain antipathy toward white people in her commentary, maybe she might say, well, that's a good thing that white students are disadvantaged. Well, what about the Asian students? This this is where the liberals really fell, fell into a trap here on affirmative action, because had it just been an unjust discrimination against white people, given our liberal regime, they probably would have gotten away with it. 
Doesn't make it fair, doesn't make it right, but they probably would have gotten away with it. But it's really hard to make the claim about aggrieved, oppressed racial minorities being discriminated against when your policy discriminates against another, another racial minority. So big, big loser. And now, and now people such as Joy Reid won't even be able to go to Harvard and not receive an education, <laughs> much like Joy Reid. Uh, today is Woke Thursday. I thought that was Woke Wednesday. No, there's another one. There's a history lesson from TikTok that Mr. Davies wants me to get to. So we'll get to it today. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.